If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham. Uh, Amy Fuller is certainly a little ball of energy, isn't she? She's great fun to be around, lovely to talk to. I hope you enjoyed her podcast. Thank you for the feedback so far. And remember that we are giving away some Bose 700s, the noise-cancelling headphones. All you have to do is rate, review and subscribe. Leave us a comment about the podcast, maybe who you want us to interview next. And you are in with a chance of winning those very cool headphones, which is just a lovely little present for Christmas, isn't it? Okay, my next guest. Well, I'm actually continuing the theme of strong, athletic women, inspiring women. And growing up, this lady was a massive hero of mine. Um, In fact, she hasn't stopped being. She's just wonderful. I'm talking about Kelly Holmes, a fairy tale story, winning double Olympic gold at the age of 34. 34! To win double Olympic gold, that's bonkers. And uh, she did it with the backdrop of some terrible injuries. I mean, the tenacity um, and mental fortitude required to come back from those injuries and perform at that level is quite incredible. But you should know that actually underpinning all of that is a story that is both heartbreaking and inspiring. I mean, massively heartbreaking. I never knew that there was so much sorrow in Kelly Holmes' life. And she touches on some very sensitive areas which some of you may find upsetting. And if anything that we discuss does affect you and you need to reach out, then... Uh, please do call the Samaritan helpline. They are available any time of day or night, and the number is 116123. Um, also, give us your feedback. You know, um, I read through all your comments, and I know that Kelly is on a mission to support people through the difficult times uh, and she does so by opening up and being honest and candid about her own struggles so here she is Kelly Holmes in her own words well this is a lovely little space in sunny Kent isn't it nice little oasis of calm in what's a crazy busy life for you Kelly it is I love coming back to Hildenborough so I've born and bred in Hildenborough in fact I was born down in the council state just down the road from where we're sitting and uh 
I like that mix that I have, you know, kind of the quiet, hear the birds normally, um, and then the hustle and bustle of life, which is planes, trains, anything else. So this is your place to escape? Yeah, so where we're actually sitting now is in a, it's called the 1809 Hub. There's a little story behind this place. So when I was 13, I was a paper round girl in the original sweet shop that stood on this plot. And then I worked behind the till. And then I said to the guy, I'm going to buy this place one day. And I had no idea why. It was just an old sweet shop. But what I remember was like at Christmas and Easter in particular, they used to do these wonderful uh, window displays and everything looked just so good. And everyone used to come in. It used to be like a real central hub for people, the community, because I've, I've lived here all my life, born, born just at the hospital down the road. And uh, I just remember all these things when I was a kid, like, oh, it's so nice, everyone comes in. So anyway, during my athletics and army career, I tried to buy it. When for 15 odd years I was having this thing with this guy and I was like, oh, I'm never going to get it. And he was saying, oh, all this stupid money. By the time I eventually got it, it was derelict building and I'd threatened literally the estate agents up the row. I said, if you ever sell it to someone else, you know what I mean? I'm hunting you down because she knew I wanted it. Anyway, she calls me and says... That's probably what drove up the price. I know, right? Yeah, no, no. Well, no, because he unfortunately, Ben, uh, passed away. So that's why it came up for sale. I then got it. It was a shack, walls, everything falling down. Went through a big old thing about planning permission. Anyway, eventually I got it. Um, took a year to build it into what was then made into a coffee house uh, called Cafe 1809. 1809 is after my Athens running number, hence that. Love it. Uh, opened the cafe for four years, then thought, oh God, this is hard. <laughs> it's just hard. No, it's just I did what I wanted to do, but mm. it wasn't really what my future was if you know what I mean it was almost because I wanted to do it for so many years I thought I have to I don't I'm not a person that lives with regrets I was gonna say this story just about (laughs) sums you up you 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 definitely set your mind on something and achieve it might take a bit longer than you think but you get there in the end always yeah I think that's part of life generally you know kind of set yourself a goal you never know what's going to happen but I hate that I've never wanted the if only feeling, which mm. is like the too late, because mm. you can't get too late back, mm. you know, in any walk of life and whatever you do. And so I thought, well, I wanted to do it. I've done it. It was a big learning curve. It's part of the story that I have to this day. And so, yeah. And I think I do that with, yeah, most things. You know, I set myself a goal. Like when I started my charity in 2008, I had no idea how to set up a charity. I mean, how do you set up a charity? Bloody really? hard. It's really hard, actually, right? Isn't yeah. It? So, I've done it. It's- I had nowhere to go, as in like an office. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I wanted to work with disadvantaged kids, areas of deprivation. I wanted to work with retiring sports people. Came up with this idea and, you know, first office was sitting on somebody's floor in an old cupboard in this (laughs) insurance building in London and 12 years down the line we've helped... 300,000 young people and transitioned over 700 athletes into new careers. So, yeah, but it's just having a passion. I think passion. Yeah. I think most things for me start with a passion Mm. and then a goal. And then it's like you can give up really easy or you can try and do it. And when you try and do it, you learn a lot. And if you don't, it's if only. And sometimes you shouldn't have done it because (laughs) you've spent too much time, effort, Mm. money, tears. But I'd rather have that than... Rather have tried. Yeah. Right, now we have a chance to win and win big because you have the opportunity to walk away with a pair of Bose noise-cancelling headphones, the 700 series, worth around £350. Wouldn't that be lovely just before Christmas? All you have to do is rate, review and subscribe. Leave us a review 
on the In The Pink podcast, on Apple Podcasts and on our Instagram page. We will pick one. Doesn't have to be sycophantic, but that always helps. Uh, make us laugh. Give us some feedback on any of our guests and we will pick someone to walk away with those headphones. Do you know, I'm going to do an early doors confession that I absolutely um, love athletics above and beyond any other sport. Oh, right. Now, I've worked in Formula One a long time. I've always loved Formula One. I love rugby. I love football. I love tennis. There's actually no sport I won't watch. But athletics, for me, was just the ultimate. And massive fan of yours. Before you, Zola Bud was just like... I mean, my earliest memory of any sporting occasion was 84 Olympics when she ran barefoot. And I remember probably only being, well, very little girl at the time and not understanding what happened with her and Decker Slaney. Oh, yes. And my dad explaining it to me that life wasn't always fair, but you've got to get back up and all of this. But for me, the enduring image of you coming over the, that finishing line with your eyes almost popping out of your head, <laughs> yeah. with your arms aloft pumping the air... That's going to stay with me forever, and I'm sure it will hundreds of thousands of your fans around the world. Were you as surprised in that moment that your face suggested? Because <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was crazy, 34 years old, to yeah. be double Olympic champion. Yeah. Um, did you think the time wouldn't ever come? No, I always believed I could be Olympic champion since I was 14. I do not know why it was so embedded in my head and my heart. I just always believed it. And when I won the 800 metres, the one where my head, eyes were popping out of my head, <laughs> I never expected to win the 800. I never did, even at that stage. Well, it was fairly late in the day you decided to even do it, wasn't it? Yeah, so I'd by then... So I'd had a 12-year international career. I'd won, prior to the Olympics, 12 international medals, five at 800 and five at 15. And so what happened was is... in the. Um, in 2004, it was the first year in seven that I hadn't been injured. So everything really went well for me. Consistency of training, you know, really increased my self-esteem back, my confidence back, had a great team around me, and I was just flying and training. And it was almost come to that realisation that it's probably going to be my last Olympics, it was my third anyway, um, that I was in the shape of my life. And if I came back for two medals, any colour, what a great end to a year. And I really believe I could medal at the Games because my... Time suggested it, mm. and I was really, really confident in my ability. And you'd medalled so in Sydney. I'd medalled in previously. Sydney, yeah. 800 metres. I'd gone fourth in 96, running with a stress fracture. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, so I'd done loads of things. So I always, always knew I could do it, but it was that real confirmation that year that mm. it's all going really well. I can only mess it up, really. And obviously my body could have, but my team were brilliant. And uh, so when I did the 800... When I cross the line, I'll tell you what, because I, I play it, I do motivational speaking now on stage, and I always play this because everyone loves the little montage, don't they? And it is that thing where I literally won by thickness of, let's say somebody's wearing a shirt or t T-shirt, 0.05 of a second separated the first four of us. That's how, how close it was. But that side of a win is all right, isn't it? Because when you come fourth and you lose by that much, <laughs> it <can> sucks. <laughs> and I've come fourth at that, uh, one of the Olympics before by uh, less than a tenth of a second. I mean, it's crazy. That's you like know? Formula One margins. Yeah. I mean, it's just minuscule, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, just that bit. is a difference between complete 
glory Olympic champion oh, yeah. and being an also run in fourth. Yeah. You know, so so yeah, so when I crossed the line though, this is the thing, I crossed the line and I started to celebrate and this is what people see on my little video. But then I suddenly thought to myself, oh my God, I couldn't have won. You know, it's like this thing, oh, and I thought I was, yeah. I thought I was celebrating prematurely and I'm like putting my arms out like, ah, oh, you know, kind of like the face is coming down thinking, oh God, what's happened? And I'm looking on the inside of this track and the British photographer's jumping up and down like a madman. He's going, Kelly, you've won, you've won. And I reacted and I won. I met him three months later. He said, Kelly, best night of my life ever. Also the worst, didn't get one bloody photo of you. And he was a British photographer, you know, jumping mad for his Because he was so swept <laughs> away by yeah, the moment. Exactly. Oh, that's lovely but, though, Yeah. It? So that was, yeah, just something that I crossed the line and I just like, wow, I just could not believe it. Because it's a moment, you know, that took me 20 years of dreaming. That wasn't just the athletics career. I dreamt of winning a gold medal, mm. not that one, hence why I went for the 15, for 20 years. I'd always believed I could get it. But yeah, actually, your dream started relatively late because you mm. only sort of really thought about this, as you say, mm. when you were about 14 years old. You, mm. And then you, I'm not saying you digress, but you, you went and had a career in the army. Mm. Um, but you never gave up that dream? Was it always just gnawing at the back of your mind that this is something you needed to do? Yeah, so having been inspired by those Olympic Games, the 84 Olympic Games as well, watching Sebastian Coe, I did. Okay, so right. I watched him win the 1500 for Great Britain, and obviously I was still kind of really intrigued by Mary Decaslini and yeah. um, Zola Bud, but they were running the 3000, that wasn't yeah. my distance, so it was kind yeah. of like not as attached, I suppose. And then I just I, love the fact she w- didn't wear shoes. I know. I just love. Well, that. she held our British records for years. I, I mean, I broke the fifteen hundred record in ninety seven. It stood for twelve years by her, and in she was like shoes. a sixteen year old in no shoes. I mean, amazing, Bonkers. amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was definitely a dream, a fluffy cloud. When I was seventeen, I won the mini youth Olympics in Holland. I won the eight hundred meters gold medal around my neck, national anthem playing, British flag flying, and I just. I had that moment back then of like, I wonder if it ever come true when I grew up. But also had, at that stage, another ambition when I was 14 to go into the military. Mm. So I joined the military a month before I was 18 and had 10 years there. But during that career, I sort of got back into my running. No one knew I was a runner when I first joined the army. I just kept beating all the guys, so it's kind Love of it. become evident, you know. And then I watched the Olympic Games again. And it was always the Olympic movement, that mm. kind of sense of enormity and just you know that Olympic rings and the passion is mm. just something you don't get anywhere else do you you know and so I watched them when I was 22 and this time I'm in the army in my barrack room watching the games you know a girl that was running that I used to run against in Kent and beat and she's there and I'm in the army like ah oh. and it just reignited the passion I think mm. so I kind of half-heartedly got back into running but literally Six weeks after, uh, six months after I started running, I was at like a world championships in Stuttgart, and the following year I'm winning like Commonwealth Games gold and European silver, just like you know, literally like a click of the fingers. But I'm still a full time army so- uh, soldier because I used to use my leave to go away. So it's kind of that connection with reality, as mm. in that was my job, my career, but I was so strong as a female always so so strong because I had to be to push against guys, you know, when you're in charge of 500, 600 guys. Um, uh, fitness levels to potentially go out on the front line you have to be quite serious in that. that's amazing great yeah. grounding for for a career in and any a kind of person sport. to be honest you know yeah. joining a month before I was 18 yeah. it really taught me to grow up you know I left home and to I and interact with people communicate for people all over the world rules regulations discipline 
and obviously you need that for being a good athlete as well. Yeah, and, and yeah, you clearly excelled in that framework. Discipline mm. was something that you were able to sort of feed off and, yeah. and, and use as a, as a launch pad, if you like, for success. I think so, yeah, because when I first come back into international athletics or, let's say, civilian athletics, running for, um, uh, I think it was Kent at the time, in the UK Championships, so I'd been in the Army Championships and the Army had actually said to me, do I want to go to this UK Champs? And I was like, oh, yeah, didn't know anyone. Got announced as uh, Corporal Holmes and, you know, no one knew me at this time apart from people that sort of thought, oh, weren't she the girl that used to run years and years and years ago? And She's that uh, kid that used to hang out in the sweet shop. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eating them all. Um, <laughs> I blame that for my sweet tooth to this day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I remember running these UK championships and I won and I qualified for the world champs, like literally. And I was like, how did I do that? That's you know, amazing. it's so weird. But I think I was so strong and I think that's the difference possibly of how my career became such a long one and I was older mm-hmm. because in my early 20s I was physically so strong as a female because you know I'm running around in boots and combats and heavy weight and mm. weapons and climbing up walls and swinging on ropes. In the Pink is sponsored by Bose who've been perfecting the art of sound so that you can listen in unrivaled comfort. The new Bose noise cancelling 700s take it to a whole other level so you'll always hear exactly what you want no matter where you are. Also, be heard like never before with their unrivaled four-microphone system, which isolates your voice whilst cancelling the noise around you. Pretty cool, huh? Always stay connected with Bose's first-of-its-kind augmented reality function that will change the way you think about travel, exercise and learning. And never be caught out because they have an excellent 20 hours of battery life. They come in black and silver, so you can work them around your style, your little fashionistas. And you can treat your ears with the Bose Noise Cancelling 700s. It's a sound experience like no other. Now, back to the interview. I do also think, like, and I'm sure that you come across a lot of these people with the work you do, motivational speaking, that so many people can achieve so much later than... Is necessarily perceived in life mm. you know and I'm thinking that as long as you nothing physically precludes you from doing that which it clearly didn't mm. then um you're in a better space mentally often to take yeah. on that challenge when you're a little bit older and wiser well I think now so now post I've been retired what 14 years now and a lot of my work or interaction with people is at an event like Parkrun or something mm. you know I just rock up at a Parkrun kind of love it you know people are surprised I'm there I do a little chat and then just run but I've met so many people over these years because of sort of the fitness industry and the lifestyle who have started their careers into sport late 40s early 50s who have totally transformed their life they said they hated PE at school never did anything in their 20s at 30s they were busy and now they think it's more about health Mm. social interaction stop of isolation and definitely their mental health and well-being which I'm a massive advocate for yeah and it's something that you've been very open about now when Mm. I first sort of learned of your struggles Mm. You, you talked about this for quite a long time, um, yeah. which is great, but I've sensed a progression in you and how much you've opened up over the years and the confidence with which you've spoken about it. Mm. Do you think that's because of the change of the landscape and that it's just much more open now and, pe- and much yeah. more accepted and encouraged and the feedback you then get from other people that you've yeah. helped them and that in turn helps you? Mm. I, I sense a change in you the more you've talked about it and the more reaction you've had 
to what's gone on. Yeah, definitely. I think because I started talking about when I wrote, first wrote my autobiography in 2005, it was not a subject that people would talk about mental no, health. You were trailblazer in that respect. You know, yeah. you know, we're going back nearly 15 years. Yeah. And people forget that because, of course, people weren't really aware or interested in it, to be honest with you. You know, when you're on the front of the newspapers talking about self harming, then it becomes like a conversation you don't really have a conversation about. Well, because you think um, people were just un- uncomfortable about talking about it. I think it just wasn't really out there to people to start to go, well, what, how do you then talk about it and communicate mm. back to me, let's say, about it? And, and also, the land, so the landscape has a lot to do with it, you mm. know, our acceptance of conversation, our trying to stop stigmatism, trying to normalise in conversation, which is what I try to do when I talk and speak on stage, and humanising society again mm. to make, you know, we're all just human. And when I wrote it in my book it was a big deal to write in my book because I hadn't told anyone what I was going through what struggles I'd had um and to open up was more about the fact that I wanted people to see that by winning my two gold medals I'm not a superhuman I'm not this person that flew down in a cape and suddenly was able to run because actually their perceived thing on sport is that you're also brilliant and you know cut above the rest Mm. and that wasn't actually true I was just a dedicated talented athlete that refused to give up yeah but do you know what interestingly when I read about it it didn't surprise me that Mm. you'd had this adversity because Mm. I think you just learned how to channel it Mm. and I think actually some of the greats need that back against the wall to come out fighting Mm. you know if it's all on a plate for you it isn't as it's easy to achieve. It, no. like you, you look at some of the great sports people that through our time, they've often mm. come through very difficult, troubled childhoods. They've had yeah. you know, pain, bereavement, whatever it is, mm. and they've just been able to leverage that. Yeah, I think in sport it gives you that ability to push yourself and to stay in the zone, mm. to be focused on what you want to get, and that's your goal. So everything else around it could become almost insignificant because actually all the pressures and the, you know, maybe the tears you have are all about just performance and wanting to get somewhere. And I think maybe you also then, you know, I could say that it was all about my athletics, but maybe it could have been about other things that, you know, are there, which have just not become prevalent or I didn't really want to think about or talk about or whatever but the outlet for my pressure of just wanting to scream like because it was just hell hating everything about yourself and who you are and what you're doing and the pressures and not being able to talk about things or not whatever just all came out and you when you have a breakdown it's not something that you plan and it's not something that you maybe even know you're going to have but if you look back especially if I look at athletics wise you know, the tears that I'd cried on the bed in pain and the disappointment of something that's gone wrong at the time when actually I could be like world number one yet you get an injury, you know, and highs and lows. So I had 10 years out of my, no, seven years out of my 12, I had injuries, you know, ruptured calves, torn Achilles, had um, damaged the uh, nerve in my back, lost some sensation in the leg, glandular fever, tonsillitis, had two, three operations on my stomach at the time, female stuff. No one knew about any of that because you just get on with it. Mm. And you're only your team that are fixing you. But they never really ever... I never had a conversation where somebody was saying, how are you? How, how do you feel that this is all potentially going wrong? You know, I had that dream. It was a massive dream. In my head, like, what will I do if this doesn't ever happen? So it's that emotional, psychological impact that I think just goes and carries on. And then for me, it came out in self-harming mm. and breakdown. And at the end. But also, part of what I talk about is that 
Going through that struggle should never define you either. You know, when I was at the worst of my life, I was still getting ready for world championships. I still won a silver medal. You, you went out and performed like two weeks yeah. after harming, didn't you? Yeah, well, I'm still in the mix of doing it. I was still in the mix of the worst Which time of my life. Unbelievable yeah. strength. But I always say, like on stage, like when half of you's almost dying because I literally didn't want to see the next day and half of you is living, mm. that's the biggest battle. But also the strongest battle because that's what's keeping me going. So did you have suicidal thoughts at the time? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I wanted to open up the road and jump in it and not get back out or open up the bathroom floor. I was in you know, I was screaming inside in a bathroom when I first started doing it and I got my training partner outside and my you know kind of my coach outside yet yeah, I can't scream because I didn't want them to know didn't want to put negative energy on them so you're screaming inside mm. and my outlet was self-harming but you know again what I say to people you can't get over those moments so I haven't I haven't now become cured of mental health problems mm. because I think once you've had something really bad it's all you're always perspective of it but you learn to deal and manage mm. So I manage. We're all a work in progress, aren't we? No one's perfect. You're constantly (laughs) managing. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the the injuries Mm. um, were constant setbacks and challenges that you had to overcome, which obviously would potentially undermine your confidence. But do you think it's all pinned back in your childhood? Potentially, do you think that actually? I mean. the, the reason yeah. I say this is because I do a lot of work with kids that have been yeah. separated from their mums at, mm. um, at birth, very yeah. young in childhood. And they, they, they talk about Nancy, Ker- um, I was going to say Nancy Kerrigan, she's the, uh, <laughs> oh. she's the ice <laughs> oh, yeah. skater. Yeah, yeah. Nancy, I'll get, I'll get her surname. She's written a book called The Primal Wound. Right. And it talks about how difficult it is for a baby to be separated from their biological mm. mother and how that can manifest itself in massive depression, mm. anxiety, all sorts of emotional issues, maybe issues with relationships further down the line, whether they be mm. in sport or business or... Yeah personal relationships do you think this is where it could come back to uh i definitely think there's a prevalence in that in terms of i was always wanting to be accepted find my identity and sport gave me that ability Mm. to be somebody you know Mm. so my mum had me when she was 17 uh to a jamaican guy who i I don't know him but to a jamaican guy did you ever get to know him yeah i met him once when i was 16 and found out I had brother and sister as well that lived five miles up the road. No. Yeah, he lived pretty five miles up the road Do they still all my life. Five miles up the road? Yeah, I know my, my sister and my brother were really close now. I met oh, that's the, amazing. I met her in a supermarket. I was no. 16 and she was 14. <laughs> she was with her mum, I was with my mum, and I was like, there's this little girl like looking at me. She knew that she had a sister and about me, and I didn't know about her. But did you so, like, did you look into each other's eyes and I have some kind of connection? Thought, well, no, I just thought, like, who's this? Because I heard my name. This woman saying, oh, that's Kelly. And then, um, I went home and I said to my mum, who's those in the supermarket? So my mum was talking to this woman and she wouldn't tell me, went to her, I said, who, who are they? They knew my name. And she said, oh, um, that's your sister and the mum. And then obviously I found over the years that I got to know the story a bit more. But yeah, so that was weird, but it was so more... how do you feel about your dad now? Oh, I'm not, I'm not interested. My dad's, his stepdad who's brought me up since I'm five, he's my dad, Mick. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't need to know him. You know, for me, it's like yeah. your, your, your parent is... Somebody that cares, loves, and mm. wants to think. And that parent can have any title, can have any name. I totally It's agree. that person that's yeah. thing. So, no, I have no interest at all. Is there all. any part of you, though, that thinks it's that whole kind of nature nurture thing? Is there any part of you genetically that you think might have come from your biological dad that, you, that intrigues you? Oh, 
no, no, I'm not intrigued <laughs> I'm at all, no. I don't think, because I feel like it's always going to be a sort of, you know, my mum's British white, so it's always going to be some genetic thing that's possibly come from him. But mm. I think also when you're good at something, so I could have been really good at running, but if I didn't have that perseverance, the attitude, awesome. the behaviour, mm. the willingness to fight, that confidence, that doesn't come through that. That's you as mm. an individual who I feel very privileged that mm. I had that in me. Yeah, but I think it's but, also your reaction to a very difficult situation. Well, I think I was more like, so when I went to school, I felt like I didn't really have an identity. You know, I grew up in White and White Kent. I'm, you know, just the colour I am. I don't know any different, so you can't, you know, I can't say what's different, but I don't know any different. But, you but know, did you feel like you stood out? Is it? Yeah, you, but I always changed it around, you know. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, I'm, I was brown girl in the ring when they're singing Boney M, you know, and I'm just going singing like, yeah, she looks like a sugar in the plum, 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 you know, I'm thinking, yeah. And I always had that attitude that, okay, I'm different, but I'll be unique then. Okay, so if I stand out, then show. So that almost stopped any, any sort of um, barriers that maybe I could have had, where I could have had a problem of colour or race or whatever. But I never had a problem, because I always flipped it around and go, well, great, I'm glad I'm different. Did other people have a the problem? Did anyone else? like? Not when I was at school, no. I don't feel like I had anyone, because I was quite sort of, with my friends, I was always... I've always been a polite, caring person. I've started charity when I was really young. My first big job was actually 16 as a nursing assistant for people with mental health problems back then. Wow, you know, so yeah. you were aware of it? Yeah, I was aware of pe- but I was more aware of people that need help. Mm. I'm always aware of people that need either opportunity to change or help to move forward in life. And I've always been quite astute to that mm. from a very young age. So when I was younger, not knowing my identity, it was my PE teacher telling me I could be good at something that I held on to, which was the running. Mm. So then when I'm doing well, it's like everyone then wants to be your team and whatever. And almost it was my outlet to go, this is making me feel good. Mm. You know, we were a working class family with everyone else, didn't have pocket money, you go out and get it. You go and wash windows, you clean cars, you go mm. shopping for old people because you're going to earn it. And I was always like, earn respect, mm. you know, and then you'll get respect. And I've gone through those attitudes in life. But it is through those sort of tough times that, not so tough, but, you know, I remember being in the child home, and of course I do. I know that I didn't have my dad, of course I do. I know that I was different to other people, but you just fight through those mm. and maybe they make you who you are. Because certainly, well, I've, I've seen you mm. and heard you talk and seen your social media posts about losing your mum and how, yeah. what a massive void that's left in your life. Yeah. Um, how, how did you kind of reconnect with her? Because obviously mm. you were only, I say only, mm. but you were in a, a home for a limited amount of time. Yeah. But it was a Obviously. significant window yeah. in your life, wasn't mm. it? Because, you know... I know, that, well, they say you learn more in the first couple of years of your life than any yeah. of the rest of the time <laughs> yeah. put together, but it, that, that's the kind of formative years, isn't it? Yeah, since so, a baby till sort of five on and off. Right. I think I, um, yeah, because, well, you mentioned about, you know, do things affect you as you go on? Of course they do, because mm. you always have that thing about separation or not knowing who you can trust or someone going to leave you before they really leave you is all of that. And I think that's definitely been a part of my life where I've grown up doing that, but I don't really, you know, don't really talk about those sort of things anyway, but they're definitely things in your life that you can always 
reflect back on and know why you have those emotions or why you deal with things in a certain way, you know. And, yeah, there's a lot that went on between me and my mum. And she was only young. You know, she was 17 when she had me. And you have to remember, you know, I think to myself, God, when I was 34, if I'd had a 17-year-old. But I was 34, I'd do my own, you know. I was winning medals, luckily. But now when I go through my life, not being funny... I just think, oh, my God, you know, because I still want to be a child. I still want to be myself, <laughs> you know, selfish. And I'm thinking to myself, there's my mum there that was just being, a young, you know, 20s, 30s, having a child. That, a kid, she yeah. was a kid. Mm. So the things that I maybe saw her do and things that maybe battered in my head a little bit as I was growing up as a teenager and leaving my stepdad all those things definitely affected my life but that's because she was young doing those things but I was older closer you know Mm. as you're 17 as well you know when she left home um, originally Uh, that was so hard you know because again you just feel like I always felt that she was the only person that was real in my life because she was my mum my Mm. biological mum and, you know, I had two white brothers, and, but for my dad and my mum. But I always felt like, oh, she, well, she's my mum. She's mm. the only thing that I've mm. actually got as whole. Mm. So when she, when we went through ups and downs, but then you do. I was a teenager, you know, I went into the army. You know, her life became her life. My life became my life. But then you reconnect, and then as you get older, and then I started looking after my mum and, you know, brought her, put her into a... Uh, bungalow because of where she lived was bad and you start to then reconnect and everything I did everything really to get my mum and have a better life you know she just worked as a nurse and assistant at a hospital I get mm. shit money you know what I mean get nothing so I was always felt that. like I needed to be the su- Support supporter because we're you know we're not a family where your mum and dad are going to provide for you when they've gone it's like no <laughs> it's mm. almost the opposite way around So when I lost her, yeah, it's the worst day of my life. Regardless of anything that I've done to myself, any mental health problems Mm. I go through, have gone through, that was, I, oh my God, I thought I was going to die myself that day. It's the worst thing. I just couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with never seeing her again. Not just like, you know, it's just awful. I can imagine, I mean... Well, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm incredibly close to my mum as well. It feels like you've had your relationship with her has taken lots of different forms. You know, mm-hmm. it's been changing the dynamic between it. You know, I've heard you speak about her and how brave she was as a 17 year old because bloody hell, I mean, that must have been. Well, she was told she wasn't allowed to have me. You know, she was by t- her own by her, Yeah, she was told she couldn't have me until she sorted her life out. So that's why she put me in the care home. And it was only in Tumbridge Wells, up not far away from here. And she used to have to come and get me. So then I remember the t- detachment thing, because you always cry. I just oh. remember, like, screaming when she used to leave me. And having t- you know when you just, like, little things from your life. It doesn't matter how old you are, does it? There's little things from when you're a child. It just always resonate, you know. But that... But if you can imagine for her then, being told she can't have you. And then she was told she had to sign adoption papers. Oh, my God. I know. And she came to, like, the adoption people came on this day. She said, could we have to sit down and talk about it? Because I was writing my book. And um, she didn't want to talk about it, but I just said, just tell me. And she said, like, the adoption people came. And they literally went to take me away. And she just screamed and said, no, you ain't taking her away. And left me there. So I feel like, how brave is she? You know what I mean? Could have been a whole new ball game, couldn't it? I could have been anywhere. So I feel like privileged to have had her as my mum, as well as have her strength. We're so mm. different in mm. character, but in one sense, not, because we both have a 
strength of character. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. I feel like, so when she actually died, it's almost like those, God, we've been through so much. She was in a mother and baby unit. I remember being at the first flat we were at, you know, and everyone's screaming, coming up, knocking on the door because I'm like a kid making a noise. And you just think like all those things that she would have gone through, yet she kept hold of me, but it's in your head, isn't it? So I know I have detachment. I know I have attachment problems, mm. like with relationships. I can never commit because I'm just like, well, but you might leave. <laughs> God, that is and it doesn't matter how old you are. No, 100%. So it never... The day started for, oh, my God. So did you feel um, angry towards her? Like, did you feel... Because however brave yeah. she is, yeah. she's still your mum, you're still her baby, yeah. you know? I like, know. you just think... you. You just want her to fight for you yeah. um, every step of the way. Did you did do you feel like you've processed those feelings before yeah. she died? Were you able to do that? Yeah, because I think you kind of got you, as you get older, you sort of just start to understand things more, don't mm. you? And I don't feel like I've had any bad upbringing at all. You know, really, compared to the kids that I work with in my charities and stuff, mm-hmm. no. I've had nothing. But I always say to people, don't think that your life is not as bad as someone else because you live your life. So I have to live my life and go, do you know what? That affected me when I was older. Then that affected my identity. Then it affected whether I felt safe or then it affected all the other things. But then when I think she died, it was more that history thing. You know what I mean? I've had history Mm -hmm. with someone for all that time. You know, I know people that have kids at 14. I mean, Jesus, how that attachment goes, I don't know. But, like, at 17, it's your only constant and your mm. kids, you know, so you go through and then that's like, oh, well, well, you know, you know, where they're gone sort of thing, you know. It's kind of... And also, over the years, because of the ups and highs and lows, I felt more like I was always... I feel like, if I reflect, I feel like why I always tried to want to make her life a bit better is because of what she did for me at things. I felt like I was obliged to to do it almost. I wouldn't ever say that, say that to her and say, but because she didn't really have a lot and she never really did a lot during her career. She went to a diamond factory when she had to leave when she had me. So she's just done jobs, you know, cleaning here and there. So never really had the ability to do but have a bigger career. So then I felt almost like, well, maybe my job why I'm being successful is actually then repaying back. <laughs> so do you think that, that that did spur you on? Did that motivate you to train harder, to keep succeeding? Not really, for, not necessarily for my mum's life, because obviously she was married to Mick and then, you know, life. So not really in that. Yeah, mm. I don't think it was ever that until later in life. She's been on her own for years. So mm. later in life and later in her life, definitely. Because she broke up with Mick. Yeah, so she left Mick, my stepdad. Then went for another guy. <laughs> Had my other sister. Right. That was the bad period of time. That's when I joined the army. We didn't speak for anything. Um, so that was a hard time in life. Mm. How long did you not speak for? Uh, well, quite a, yeah, quite a while. Actually, because I joined the army. Wasn't there? So you were um, like eighteen then. Yeah, I joined just before I was eighteen. I don't, I don't know when I saw her. Let's, I joined her. She came to my pray, pass up parade, but just wasn't good mm. she changed a lot with this guy you know when you see someone change he'd got done for drugs and stuff and I think oh, mm. and I didn't really think but you know when you see someone change like, uh-uh. and I was still young you know what I mean mm. so it broke my heart she came looking how she looked and not really cared and didn't come Mick and that was like the start of that kind of 
heartache sort of thing, I think, because mm. you kind of feel like you've gone through all of this and then she's ruined that family thing and then she doesn't care. It's all like that sort of thing. But I think when you're younger, you, you take those things. That's why I see a lot of kids at work, in our what we look after in our charity, from disadvantaged areas and they're so messed up because of their family makeup you know what I mean that mm. detachment or insecurity or just feel like who's going to look after them for their life or their hatred of someone because of the fact that they they can't trust them anymore or don't look I just see it and I can I can resonate with that because mm. I remember hating my mum at that time because I felt like she just let everyone down or you know she didn't care and she's and kind so of all you, you had at that things. point. Is it, did you feel like... Yeah, I mean, no, I had my sad bad Nick. I mean, jeez, I love him to bits, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's just like, you just think, you know, how can you leave? You're like, but he brothers wasn't your and blood. All that. Maybe different. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was. I think then it was, and not now, no yeah. way. You know what I mean? As life goes on, nah, you know. Mm. So, But when you're a kid, you're still mm. a teenager. And back then, not being funny, a child was a child. Mm. I was a young... I had child's head, you know what I mean? I was just a young girl, quite You're trying to work of, it all out. I mean, we still are now, wasn't really but confident. Then, yeah, yeah, I wasn't really confident in my ability. The army was something that gave me the comf- my confidence, really. Mm. So you just go through those, and you process those in a different way, don't you? And then as life goes on and different things, and then obviously my mum got ill, and I just remember her crying, saying she's too young. She's like, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details yeah that was the worst time and she's crying so she's too young to die it's like oh my god that was horrible I'm sorry <clears throat> don't know if does water or stop right. second <clears throat> stop no it's okay yeah, so that was the worst time, and then you just think, shit, you can't do nothing about it. What can do? Because hers was uncur- incurable, so just treat blood, her. Blood cancer. She had myeloma, cancer of the blood and bone. Oh. Didn't know where it's come from, just came out of the blue, as far as anyone's concerned, and then you go through, don't you? And then you go through a different motion, like you do, because no one talks. And this is why I'm so privileged to stand on stage, because I talk about 
all different sides of me. You know, not everything, but I talk about a lot of things that I know people will resonate in that mm. audience. And then bereavement. No one talks about bereavement. No one talks about it, but it's so hard. Bereavement we is all, horrible. We all have to experience I know. it at some point. And it's just it's so like damn hard, isn't thing. it? Yeah. Because people, like, I see people that go back to work after two weeks. You're not better up back after two weeks. You're not better. I, I, I have to say, it's like 18 months I was freaking in bereavement. Literally, I cried every single day until her funeral, three weeks. I couldn't come out. I had the cafe at the time. Didn't want to come here in case someone else has my mum, because she grew up here as well. Mm. Has my mum. Sorry to hear about my mum. Or can I have an autograph? You know what I mean? I was just like, I can't go out. So I stayed in. I just couldn't. And I was in a wreck. And that's the first time I really, I really started to know the concept and the value of talking as a mental health form of helping people with mm. mental health is talking, communicating, because my friends and my family were so upset when I read in my autobiography that I'd gone through all my mental health problems because mm. I never told him, didn't know how to, how. And I thought, I'm going to just say it and it's just going to come out and then what can I do about it? And they were so upset, but not angry with me, upset that they couldn't be there to help me. And I always promised them whenever I needed them, as I have done over the years, that I would come. And at that point, I was like, oh, and they just like stayed, came, and that was it. And... Um, you know, because that took me on a back foot, back with my mental health. The day she died, I cut myself again, and then it was like, mm. then I realised, like, that's not going to help. So I feel like the journey, I stand on stage, and I feel like actually my destiny wasn't to win medals. It was to stand on stage and help other people. Mm. Talking about, yeah, I don't actually think my destiny was to win those. I think that was the outcome of actually what I'm most powerful for now mm. because I can talk on stage and I know that I can say to people that struggle shouldn't define you. Life is shit and can be good. Mm. To remember the good times when you're going through the bad times because you can pat yourself on and pat yourself on the back when you've done something well and... Like everyone's journey is there for a reason, and you can either take up opportunities or not, or to reflect on things that have happened. And I just reflect on all of the highs and lows through life mm. to be strength of character. You know, I did win my gold medals and never gave up. I now stand on stage and I can speak authentically about life, different sides of it, and not be afraid to share. Mm. And when were we ever in a time like that? So, you know, we're in a good place, I think. And it's getting now better. We're well, not right? there yet, but no. it feels so much better. And honestly, I can, I can hear it in your voice. Mm. When I listen and where I read things from 10 years ago, mm. even listening to you do Desert Island Discs. Oh, my God. Oh, like, my God. How many years ago that's, that? that's a long time ago. <laughs> Up until now, you sound a different person. It's like you've gone on this journey with the people you're helping, yeah. who've in turn helped you, which is amazing. Yeah. But I mean... I, I still sense you're holding some back and I don't blame you for it's like deeply yeah. personal and you've got to sort of like gradually open that yeah. up and decide what you're comfortable talking about and mm-hmm. what you're not yeah. but it seems to me that every little baby step you've taken actually yeah. you've come a very long way yeah I've, had to come, like yeah I've had to come a long way because you know when you're in the army it's a different thing different rules regulations and then you know I've had periods of time where you question a lot about different things about yourself anyway but you know, when you're a private person, as I am anyway, you choose what you want to say and what you don't want to say because that's the life you end up living because that's the life you always yeah. you live. And I remember, I remember being in the army and... Uh, I remember being in the army because armies are just like... 
soldiers just say as it is anyway, you know what I mean? And I remember one of my best mates, Jason, and he came and he was mixed race. And he's, I think it doesn't, it's really irrelevant, but he's, I think his mum was black and his dad was white, so opposite way around. He was my mate, came in, blah, blah, blah. And, they, and the, the guy said, is it your brother? And I went, and I actually hadn't grown up with any mixed race people. All my, my, my brothers were white, but at mm. the time, and I just looked at him, I said, you ignorant twat. I said, just because he's got the same fucking colour skin as me, yeah. you think he's my brother? Are you actually that yeah. shallow? Because you wouldn't say that to two white people, no. just because they both happen to be white. I know. Yeah. And I went, no, actually, my brothers are white. Yeah. I said, so... Yeah. And then I said, do you know what? And then I said that day, I'm nev- I said, I'm always going to have... You can assume. I don't care what people assume. Mm but it's my choice to tell you because you're going to assume anyway. Mm. And I always lived my life going with that whole bit of... I don't need to tell you about my personal life or, or what I am or what I do in life because the assumption of people are always there. And I remember mm. that day saying to that guy, I said, you know what, you've just given me the reason to never have to say anything about myself mm. again. I said, because you've just really ticked off the boxes of prejudice or mm. not prejudice but um kind of stereotyping and stereo- assuming yeah. stereotyping yeah. assuming kind of whatever I'm like yeah, but he he just, that, that shouldn't close you up i, I think know, if anything you should combat thing. that by your, yeah. no, I'm not saying, I, yeah don't you don't yeah. have to ever lay yourself bare no. like it's it's a totally personal yeah. thing how much you share or don't share yeah. and there's certainly things that i would never feel comfortable yeah. to say that now I might do <laughs> yeah, right, you know yeah. I definitely feel different now I'm a mum yeah. I feel completely different you? yeah yeah in a in a in a lovely way yeah um I feel vulnerable in a way that I didn't feel before but oh, I feel wow. much stronger in a way that I didn't feel before I just feel different yes um I feel that your the winning of your medals was so significant because it gave you the platform to talk to people mm-hmm. it gave you the voice yeah it's given you exposure and profile and people want to listen they want to hear yeah. how you overcame all of that to be so successful and to be mm. a hero to so many people. Yeah. And that's what I like. I like the fact that I can talk about a journey in an authentic and real mm. world to make a difference to maybe people's struggles. You know what I mean? Because everyone's so different. Everyone's life's mm. so different. Everyone, how they feel, they think, and what they do in their life. And everyone can do what they want. And people have a choice to say and don't say what they want as well. But I think when it comes to struggling or going through kind of just either whether it's career or background or life journeys mm. and now I can speak authentically mm. by the way people know lots. straight away if you're not people yeah. spot bullshit for a mile off yeah, always so if you're authentic and you know I'm looking in the eyes now yeah. and you are you're just this is yeah you know it's all real and it all matters and it impacts mm. me and it'll impact the listeners and mm-hmm. you know that's this incredible kind of passing it forward yeah positivity which i think you're talking about yes did, did your mum die with with were there any regrets did you was there anything left unsaid is there any more you would have done in your development of your relationship with your mum no i think we were at a really good place anyway um and it was more i was always supporting her if you know what i mean mm. but um no i don't think there's nothing i'm left unsaid other than you can always say to someone you love them more can't you mm. you know and that's the thing um known that, you? yeah and what i mean a laughing side of it is that we we'd also been to unfortunately three other funerals that year earlier in the year and then the last one she's like we're sitting at the back because we turned up a bit late and we were laughing 
and uh, pretty much planned her whole funeral at this other funeral because she was going, if you put me in one of those bloody boxes, I'm coming back to Hortonia. I want a wicker basket. She always like quite strong-minded, like what she wanted. I like, geez. So I sat down for her one day and I said, like, you know, what do you want? What things? All this, this, and I. Love the fact that yeah, yeah, what she's going to do and how she wasn't going to be, you know, she wanted to be scattered and all these sort of stuff. And we had a bit of fun as a family. It brought us closer together as a family. Um, We were close anyway, but you know, you have those moments where you meet up. And no, I just feel like, you know, I think she, she was more happy. (laughs) She was a mum, happy person, as in that was her life. You know what I mean? Her grandchildren. I don't. I think she got past. She wasn't driven like me. Mm. You know, I used to say, "You, you, you, my mother," because like we were so different in terms of our ambitions. And maybe she just had it when she was young, and then gave up on them because she had children. You know, she had three children by whatever. No, no, but. But she had her own battles, you know, being a seventeen-year-old mum. Yeah, well, she's gone all through that, and Mm. I don't know if you know people are different characters, aren't they? You know, and so I feel like we had we have the same strength of character in a way that you know, quite dogged and go. But she was definitely not ambitious like me. She's always like, slow down, you know, kind of what you do. You know why? Why? You know, because I'm like, you know, into running and in the army, we had no connection there. There was no commonality there. She hated sport, hated fitness, hated had no connection with the army we were so polar opposites in that sense that but the biggest things I think I miss from it is that um I'd call her every day text her every day mm. send her photos videos I know she didn't like something I'd wear because she wouldn't say oh you look great and you know what I mean? I'd know straight away and I'd always want confirmation from her I'd say oh, what do you think of the interview because I'd know she would say oh it was all right or she would criticise the person that was yeah. interviewing me or she'd say something, yeah. you know what I mean? And I can't do that. And that's one thing I really miss, that, you know, where I get so excited. I've done so much now, even since she died. Like, just loads, you know, when I was made the colonel with the Royal Armoured Corps, you know, she would just been, like, over the moon and just thought, oh, my God, you know, and all the things I do and I stand on stage now, would have loved to have seen a stage. But then, in the same sense... Since she's died, the way I talk on stage is very different. I have to say, like, the last 18 months, my speaking engagements have just, like, exploded. And I feel I'm very different at presenting on stage. You know, I give a lot of myself, and I really try and engage with the audience. Um, And a lot of that has also come from how I've coped and dealt with and been more confident in myself since my mum's died, because I feel like you only live once, obviously, you get to a point where you kind of can get a little bit more comfortable with yourself. Mm. I think that takes time. You, you'd be at one with yourself, yeah. love yourself, accept yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah, that's really But I think some things take time to come those. You know, I've always been kind of a... I wasn't that confident as a young child, so even though you do your athletics and stuff, it's still me. I'm doing it as an individual, you know what I mean? Yeah. But actually to, to put yourself out there in front of people, it's quite hard when oh, you've always hell, been... Yeah a closed a book shy, yeah. yeah if you've always been a closed book you can't just suddenly just become yeah. an open book mm. so my gradual opening is actually being more honest with myself around my struggles mm. because that's helped me open up partly about who I am I suppose mm. so you get to a 
place where you're a little bit more comfortable to do it and you don't want people to judge you so you end up thinking shall I shan't I it's all those different things that you but you know every person that you might think judges you actually I think helping at least 10 more yeah do you know what I mean because that honesty is so empowering not only to yourself but to others and that in itself is such a motivating factor isn't it yeah I think so I think there's a lot of things that you could say could really make a difference to people's lives What but you have to choose what ones you do and yeah, don't. But, I mean, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And again, it's a personal thing, but massive gift for someone like like you. Do you, yeah. do you feel that someone, uh, or maybe a combination of people, have filled the void that your mum's left? Do you feel like you've got that support network? Do you feel uh, Yeah, my friends and family are brilliant anyway. Yeah. And I've made... So again, like over the last couple of years, I was always sort of... It was always just my tight-knit group. I've, you know, I've had friends from day one at school and, you know, from since I've four, always been just the same. They were who I trust 100%. I think now I've started to realise I can trust other people that I start to connect with and whether it's in business or whatever. So I've made friends who know a lot more about me who I'd never, ever share or say anything with. It would literally be like, we go for a meal, that's it, you ain't getting nothing from me. Mm. Whereas now I've got a real, you know, just through meeting people, I've just got to know and I feel comfortable with somebody and you can feel, I feel like I have a good intuition with people Mm. now. I know who I actually, I could trust and it's not going to come back to hurt me or something. Mm-hmm. And that's made me feel more freer and happier in my life because now I can just, you know, have friends that it's all right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mm. matter what I say to them. They don't care. Mm. Yeah. But when you've always had half of you that felt like if you say stuff, you'll be judged or what will people think or people going to look at it a different way or people whatever, you just don't say anything. It's just easier not to. It's easier not to say things in people's lives than to actually think of the worry of saying things. So now I get to a point where I can say things to certain people. It's like, oh. So you're just discerning about who you open up to. Yeah, yeah, this is such an interesting mix because, yeah, you can still stand up on stage and talk to a kind of almost, not anonymous crowd, but you don't necessarily know everybody in it. No, I don't know anyone. You know, I did one recently, 1,700 people on stage at a... uh, thing and I got two standing ovations I literally crying on stage because I was just like wow because in sport you have that bit where you it's black and white in sport yeah mm. so um in life it's quite subjective it's somebody else's opinion of you isn't it it's somebody else telling you whether you're good or you're not good and when you've been a sporting high achiever you kind of want to know if you are or you aren't. And then you've got nothing to judge it against. And then when I got this, like 700 people, literally it was like, I felt like this pop star. And I just wow. almost got confirmation of the route I'm taking in life is the right route. Yeah. Because I know that if I can empower people, motivate, inspire, but also give some people a sense of belonging, identity, feel like they can achieve and even if when they feel like they can't all those little bits that I take from my life Mm. if I can just know that I've just given someone some hope then I love it I absolutely love it well the fact that you're able to be as honest as you are about the depths that you that you you went to with self-harming and then the highs of like standing on the top of the rostrum but also Mm I think in many ways that the standing in front of those 1,700 people with a standing ovation is in itself almost a bigger achievement because that yeah. is you laying yourself bare. Yeah. Can you um, make sense when you look back at the self-harming now? Mm. Do, you, do you understand what you were trying to do in that moment? 
Have you thought about it? Have you discussed it? Have you had therapy for it? You... No, I'm, uh, although I do say to people, maybe they need therapy, and I'm like, oh, better open up too many cans worth. You know, mm. I, I always have this one, it's so weird, like my life is sort of this, it's evolved as it does, you know, but when you've gone from a shy kid to a closed book to a more open thing to achieve it, it all mixes up a little bit and you kind of get to a point where you're like, what do, and where am I at? Mm. And, you know, I still question myself a bit as like, why don't I do this? Why don't I do this? I still question myself and I suppose I will over time and, you know, when you want to, you know, when, whatever, but like when some people says to me, oh, have you gone to therapy? I'm like, yeah, but they've dived too close <laughs> to, to into you and I'm like, but I don't know them. Yeah, I can stand on the stage and speak because there's always... Mm. I feel like on stage, there's a, slight, there's a separation. There's always a separation. I can oh. give them everything I need to give them mm. and want to give them. You control I don't it. have to give them anything I don't want That's to. That's interesting. Yeah? yeah? So I can yeah. give every part of everything yeah. to the point where I, you don't need to know that. And then you say, okay, this is where I draw the line. I don't feel comfortable beyond that. Yeah, so just it, don't it's talk interesting. About it. I won't say yeah. their name but there's someone very close to me who mm. I think really needs therapy mm. and he she I won't <laughs> yeah, even no. identify their sex because no. it's not fair this, no. is, this is their journey um, feels like they're such a web they mm. are so tangled mm-hmm. that why where do I even start like yeah. and, and, and they're scared a bit like this can of worms that you talk about that yeah. once they even take the lid off a tiny bit it's yeah. just going to be a mess but my argument to them is Unless you start, you're yeah. never going to know. And I don't yeah. want them to die. No. Having never unraveled yeah, what is an incredibly problem. complex childhood for them. You know, mm. a lot of abuse, a lot of heartache and all the rest yeah. of it. And um, I do I think know, people I, should. I have a heavy heart. I advocate I heavy heart that people them. talk. I always yeah. advocate, and I do think there's but a lot of people that need it. You've become a much better communicator over the years, don't you think? Like, yeah. Not Without just talking to people, but, but you know. Yeah, just be more chatty with people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I even go to events and I used to just, like think, oh, just I just don't, like, I don't know why. You know, you go to places and you just feel like shy or nervous to but speak you're to a people. I just because you're superhuman on the track <laughs> doesn't mean that you're, it's just yeah. very weird, isn't it? And it's a strength. Yeah, yeah it's a strength. Do you know one thing I thought was quite interesting that you talked about when you when your mum died, you mm. shaved that bit of your head, which by the yeah. way I think is wicked. Yeah. It looks lush. <laughs> I love it. Um, but why do you think that was? Why did it need there? There need to be a sort of physical representation almost of that mm. shift in your life because I know a lot of people talk about yeah. when they have a big breakup they cut all their hair off they oh, do yeah, something quite, quite yeah. dramatic what, how, why do you think you did that? I think it was more about I felt like sometimes you can conform a little bit sometimes you can feel like you're conforming to society generally mm. so I used, obviously I um, you know, come back from the Olympic Games and you kind of go to all these events and everyone's dressed up and they're yeah. in their long dresses and yeah. their whatever and long hair and you just felt like you have to f- blend in or fit in, you know yeah. what I mean? And then I just thought to myself, I'll sod this, yeah, I can't yeah, be bothered yeah. anymore. Because yeah. I, I thought, well, she didn't get a chance to do it. It was almost like that. I'd been talking about it and I kept saying to the hairdresser down the road, I kept saying, oh, I feel like I just need to just do something, you know? And it was all just chit chit chat. And the morning of my mum's funeral, I was like, take it bloody off. And yeah, I turned up and I felt from that moment, I felt like I'm more me now, how I dress, what I look like, what I do, because I feel more that's what I want. But did you feel like you could be more you because your mum had passed? Mm, No. Just because it gave you that thing of life's too short. 
Right, okay. Life's so short, okay. you never know what's around the corner. So I thought, yeah. no, sod it. So now I wear what I want when I go to an event. You know, everyone's is in their quite long... quite freeing? Is it quite yeah, liberating? It. Yeah, you know, I went to an on Saturday, everyone's in their long thingy dresses and I've got like a, you know, a tuxedo dress on. Nice. With my big glitzy boots on and all my earrings. I was like, yeah. And everyone's like, oh my God, you look really cool. And I thought, yeah, because I like, I want to go back to what I used to think about standing out as unique and actually why not be different? Why, why be the same as everyone Bang else? girl in the ring. Right? Sha-la-la-la-la. <laughs> by the way, that is one of my favourite songs. I love really right? that song. My, dad's, my dad had a jukebox and we had a little button and my brother and I worked out a way of not having to put money into this jukebox mm-hmm. but we could just push a button really hard yeah. and we always chose Brown Girl and the Ring. <laughs> Did you? I don't know yeah, why. I, I love, love that it song. It was just a great song, isn't it? It is a good song. So yeah, so that's it. Okay, so, I feel so that's like, interesting. Yeah. You've definitely got, I think, the image of someone that's like a little bit edgy and that's yeah. cool and that's engaging and yeah. bloody hell, why blends in? Tra- yeah. <laughs> so that's what I felt and again, I think age just gives you that. Yeah. The only thing, because I hate aging process I hate aging everyone keeps saying no, you're lying why, like, why does it why do you hate it so much I feel like I've got too much to do right I feel like it's just not a nat- not a nice natural process no, no I mean I don't like it do right. no, <laughs> no, by the way you look not, incredible oh no oh my god no I'm literally to the point where I'm just like Come on. no I can't I can't cope with this anymore so give me and, some um, give me some quick bullet points what's left to do that you that you feel business woman of the year for something nice yeah on the stage being saying like i've done this um that's definitely achievable yep i'd like to be known as a global uh inspirational speaker so that's my aim to go up there but i do i do i do speak abroad but it's uh, companies who are abroad get me over where yeah. as opposed to I want overseas to say oh my god this is the person to have for sort of leadership fitness and um, inspiration so that'd be my aim yeah well that's happening those two so those two things they yeah. are they are happening those two things one thing that you don't talk about very much mm. at all is mm. love I mean mm-hmm. you've touched on it that yeah. you that you don't want to let anybody in mm-hmm. is there room for love in your life Oh, I can't tell you. <laughs> no. Just don't feel comfortable going there. No. <laughs> That's a shame, isn't it? Oh. Feels like you've got is. a lot of love to give. <laughs> One day. Yeah? Do you think? Who knows? No, do you know, it's not like I haven't seen people. It's just that you just kind of make your decisions and what you want and don't want, isn't it? Not like I've lived a life of um, no. not a nun. <laughs> no, Good. definitely not a nun. Please do. I was in the army. Remember? Yeah, that's very true. But what about yeah. being a mum? Would you ever want to be a mum? No, too old. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I'm ancient. Stop. Yes, I am. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, mum at my age. Bridget Nielsen. A, actually, no, no. How old is she? She's definitely older than you. A no. lot. Yeah, but how old was she? When I'm going to Google it. She had a kid in June. <laughs> what? Yes, I swear to God. I'm googling it. I'm googling it right now. Bridget Nielsen, age when she became a mum. I guarantee you. I've got nine nieces and nephews. I love them. They come over to my house. I give them all of the love and thingy, and then I wave them goodbye and say, "Love you, love." (laughs) And you don't look as knackered as me as a result. Exactly that. (laughs) I'm too selfish. I've got things I want to do in my own life. I I feel like where are you going to fit in? (laughs) I tell you what, it is funny because. I look back at those, I've said this to a few people, um, hang on, Bridget Nielsen, mum. When did Bridget Nielsen, how old was Bridget Nielsen when she had her last child? Oh, God. She you. was 54. Oh, my word, no. In Why? June. Mad. There you go. Mad woman. She looks Mad amazing. Yeah, but it's, I, I've said this before, I look back at, you, get, you get those Facebook memory things that pop back up. Yeah. 
I see one from just five years ago. Okay. Fucking hell. I cannot believe how much younger I look then, pre kids. Yeah. It's just this constant drip drip thing of sleep oh. deprivation. Like oh. last night, I told yeah. you, did yeah. the Autosport Awards, yeah. came home, was up at six with the kids. So came home, got bed at two, up at six. You cannot sustain that. No. Like, I mean, well, certainly no. without ageing at least a decade in the process. Exactly. So I don't like that ageing process at all. Anyone that says they're lying. Mm-hmm. The only thing I do like is the ability to know yourself a bit more, mm. be a bit more confident. Mm. You grow with that. And, you know, most time for most things, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Good. You know, you get to a thing, I don't care. Good. So what advice would you give to your younger self then? Uh, with the wisdom that you have gathered and can it t- are continuing to gather, I feel it's uh, yes, continuing, definitely yeah. continuing. Um, I don't think I'd really. I, I was asked to write a letter to my younger self once. Like, mm. what would I write as a letter to myself? And I actually turned it around and actually said, like, well done Good. for everything you've done. Yeah. Because I think some people you always assume you should have been something different or led mm. a different thing, but I don't think I should have. I feel like everything I did was for a reason. A learning, you know. And by the way, you couldn't control the bad stuff that was happening to you. It's how you dealt with it that matters. Yeah, but at school, you know, when you're the kids sitting outside the classroom all the time, because, you know, what they're ta- teaching you is just like a foreign language, which it mm. was when it's French. But, you know, when <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> You've got a bit of attitude because they're coming back to you. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I have no idea what you're telling me. But did, you they, did they identify in you the, the, the strengths that you clearly have? Was there Just any the one teacher? Yeah, my PE teacher. Really? Yeah, she told me. There's always one, is Yeah, she actually told me to get a grip because I was getting bad sort of reports from the other teachers. And yeah. said that I could be a really good runner, but you have to concentrate on that. So got my mum to take me down to the local athletics club down Tunbridge just down the road and told me like, not to give them that one because I tried, really? up, tried all these other things and give up after like about a week. My dad's there, they probably know, wasn't your dad? Is that your dad there? Yeah. So, oh. Well, he gave up on everything. I'm like, athletics. Oh. <laughs> Don't say a lot. Um, <laughs> and um, gave up on went into athletics because, again, that was an identity thing. You know, when mm. all your friends are perceived in your eyes to be rainy and get it all when you're mm. like that thinking uh-uh getting ungraded for your exam results and all that you kind of have to have hope on something yeah, don't yeah. you so what would you say to other kids potentially listening to this about you know that might be lacking a sense of direction at this stage because yeah. it definitely comes to people at different stages of their life doesn't it yeah I mean I feel really so lucky to at 14 have known had two dreams to be in the army's physical training instructor and to be Olympic champion. Very clear vision. Very clear. Very clear. I knew that. I knew when I went home after watching the Olympics. That's why I went to school after watching the Olympics. And I said to Kerry, Lara, and Kim, who were my best friends, I am going to be Olympic champion. They said, "Yes, you probably are, because the only bloody thing you're good at," which was their words. They're still my best friends to this day. But I knew it. I just, I don't know why. And then the army when they came. Uh, the careers officers came in and they showed us the Navy and the Air Force and the Army. I knew that day mm. I was going to be in the, in the um, uh, Army. And I remember getting my mum to take me to the careers office like when I was 15 and 16 and 17. And they kept saying, you're too young. Because back then you could only be 17 and nine oh, months. Oh, right. Anyway, then I joined. So I feel, so what I'd say to young people is that, you know, we all have a passion. Some, for some it's too early to know where your destiny's going. But a lot of us have a passion that we enjoy things and you should look at yourself and go, well, what is it I really enjoy? And mm. then try and 
manipulate that pathway. My You're right. weird little machine's done something funny then. I don't know what's going on. Hang on. <laughs> Run out um, of, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. That's really weird. Um, finally, for me, I just want to know your... Well, two things, actually. One, what keeps you awake at night now? When you're lying in bed, what do you think about? Because everybody has something different. Yeah. Um, what is your next little challenge, the here and now? What are yeah. you working on? Uh, so, working on creating an uh, online app for corporate health and wellbeing. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so it's going to cover... Um, mental health awareness in the workplace, mindset, fitness, uh, motivation and nutrition. So it's a, oh, a way of a tool for organisations to yeah. be able to get to all their employees and make a difference to their well-being. So I'm working on that at the moment with a couple of guys, the little um, IT company we've got. So really yeah, doing cool. that. Um, and then obviously I'm made a colonel in the Royal Armoured Corps, so I get, get to wear used. my greens and still go Very in. Nice. Yeah, I get one salute me. <laughs> get wow. I like, get to, to go in a, go to get, uh, in a tank. I've just worked out that I'm the only colonel dame in the world, so that's cool. That is really cool. Bloody hell. Along with Bose, In The Pink is sponsored by Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Excellence, precision and elegance. Their timepieces are designed for those who love challenges, which is a great fit for this podcast because most of the guests share that sentiment. Finally on me, I, from me, I, do, I want to know um, your take on the current crop of athletes and who really excites you. Dina Asher-Smith's obviously up for Sports Personality of the Year, which yes, is amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and where you think uh, British athletes are in the whole scheme of things at the moment. Are we in a good place? Uh, I think athletics as a sport is in a bad place. I think we, we in a, as a country, have got some great young talent coming through. As you say, Dean Asher-Smith. Uh, Smith and uh, KGT, who won the um, heptathlon uh, world champs. I think they are brilliant. What I love, I have to say, what I love about Dina is she has everything. She's beautiful inside and out. She's got a great personality. She looks really good. She's really powerful, but she's like a woman with purpose. You know, she's out mm. there to be the best in the world, which for young people gives a role model of mm. work hard, don't give up on your dream, keep trying, but you can still look good, you know. So I love that. Um, there's another girl called uh, Laura Muir, who's oh, a yeah, distance yeah. runner. Yeah. Jesus, she's like world best. Can you imagine though, losing the world championships or not even getting a medal when they're running like she ran 3:56 after having an injury? I mean, she's like, like literally world class athlete. So her time's yet to come, but she's always up against the uh, Kenyans, isn't she, and European uh, Ethiopians? So I think. The sport has gone through changes because since obviously well, Mo's apparently coming back next year in the uh, in the ten thousand meters, I think. But you know when we had eras, haven't we, of generations of yeah. British athletes mm. that you could put your hat on. We said about the Coes and Ovets and the Crammy years, and then you had the Linford Christie Saligan or Colin Jackson, Steve Backley years, and then you might have me Roger Black. And, and Roger Black, Roger yeah, Black. and then me and Paula Radcliffe and mm. Denise Lewis years, mm. and then it kind of goes through cycles. And Jess, it, Jess yeah. Ennis and Craig and uh, sorry, uh, uh, Greg Rutherford and Mo. You just need that next era, but we need stars. That isn't just about performance. They've yeah. got to project themselves well they've got to interact with people they've got to be a people's person mm. I think that's what people are looking for it's so I really hope who knows what Tokyo is going to bring but I know what great games I need a job at Tokyo someone please give me a job at Tokyo 
And we will end this podcast with an advert for Dame Kelly Holmes and a physician at Tokyo. Thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Wow. So, yes, thank you, Kelly. That was really very moving indeed. Um, It's so interesting, isn't it, when when you see someone who's physically so strong and has so much success to their name and such a beaming smile and such a lovely energy you don't really begin to consider that they may be having real struggles behind the scenes so Kelly thank you for your honesty I know that you will have helped a lot of people by talking so openly Um, I loved our time together chatting and could have gone on and on Um, so thank you so much and thank you also to you listening for your feedback again if you have been affected by anything we talked about the Samaritans number is 116123. Um, you can call them, of course, anytime, day or night. They are always there to listen 24 hours, 365 days a year. So thank you for your company. Uh, plenty more in the Pink Podcast on the way. Thank you for listening and thank you for your feedback. Continue to rate, review and subscribe. And you could be in for winning some headphones. And actually, Tag Heuer have put some Premier League tickets up for grabs. So stay with us to find out how you can win for the 2020 year. Oh, yeah, I can't believe it's 2020 very soon. My goodness. Um, anyway, look, in the meantime, very, very Merry Christmas. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, look after each other. Loads of love and I will see you in the new year. 